So welcome in to another week of White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight here on WLS AM 890. It is the Sox and Mariners here at the ballpark this afternoon. Well, 610 starts, so I guess technically that is an evening start. Uh, they've split the first two of this series, a hard luck loss for Chris Sale last night as the Mariners beat him 3-1. to one. Sale threw nine innings, gave up three earned. Felix Hernandez just a touch better in the earned run department, just the one from a Todd Frazier shot. Uh, they were able to come back from behind and beat the Mariners in uh, in the ninth inning, 7-6 the final in the first game of this series. So two more to play here in a four-game set. Plenty to talk about here with the White Sox, though, as uh, made a trade yesterday. Deonna Navarro headed out to the Blue Jays and Colton Turner coming back in return. Rick Hahn spoke with uh, the White Sox general manager, spoke with reporters about that trade yesterday. Uh, also talked uh, quite a bit extensively about the, the future of the franchise and where this offseason uh, where the plans, rather, for this offseason lie as, they, uh, as, as we sit 35 games before the end of the 2016 season. Boy, it seems like it's just absolutely flown by. 35 more to play, however, um, including tonight's ballgame. And uh, we'll talk quite a bit about that, about that plan, about where this club is at this point in the season and where you'd like it to go. Uh, we'll hear from Rick. We'll hear from. Uh, we'll also hear from Ozzie Guillen and Brian Anderson. Got a chance to sit down with both of them a couple of days ago. They're going to play both of them. Well, I suppose Ozzie's technically going to manage, and Brian Anderson will play somewhere in the field uh, in the Larry A. Pagoski Charity Softball Tournament. That's going to be September 10th at the Schaumburg Boomers Stadium out there in Schaumburg. They took a year off from the charity game last year and are back at it this year. It's always a ton of fun, and uh, and you've got a chance to get some tickets for that, so we'll let you know how to do that and get out there and have a good time with the family. Uh, we talked with, uh, with Ozzie and with Brian about kind of the state of the game, uh, where the White Sox are at, a couple of things about the past, a couple of good stories, as always, uh, when Ozzie's involved. Brian talked a little bit about his playing career, too, uh, and obviously what you can expect from the Larry A. Pagofsky All-Star Celebrity Softball Challenge coming up on the 10th of September, too. So uh, that's all coming up in the show. We will also bring you, as always, the Week in Review, like we always do here on the show, and anything that pops up throughout the course of the afternoon. Uh, WLS reporter Rachel Brady is in the clubhouse and talking with Robin Ventura in the next little bit. So anything pops up, whether it's uh, about the trade of Deanna Navarro or about the uh, the status of, of anybody on the club, we'll bring it to you here on White Sox Weekly because... That's what we do. You can get involved in the show pretty easily. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. 312-591-8900. You can also do the Twitter thing if you're more into that. Don't do it while you're driving, though. If you're driving, just keep both hands on the wheel. 10 and 2. Although I think they've changed that. 10 and 2 is no longer the accepted. I think it's like 11 and 3 now. You're supposed to do a little lower on the wheel. Uh, you can get at us on Twitter. At C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. At c one McKnight. And you can also join us as the Sox face the Kansas City Royals Saturday, September 10th at 6.10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans uh, to enter U.S. Cellular Field will receive a White Sox travel mug. I could actually use one of those. You get yourself a White Sox travel mug for tickets. Visit WhiteSox.com. So, a couple of things to start out with, and one of them may be an obvious place to do it. Deion Navarro got himself, uh, or was traded yesterday by the White Sox, and a young man named Colton Turner is coming back in return. Deion goes back to the Blue Jays. 
uh, a team that he spent the last two seasons with and hit fairly well for, uh, a, a club that's familiar with his body work and what he's hopefully able to do for them down the stretch. Toronto has had a little bit of trouble solidifying that backup catcher spot. Josh Tolley had gotten a lot of run there. In fact, the White Sox had seen him in a couple of different ball games, just based on pitching matchups uh, when the Sox played the Blue Jays. Uh, but they're looking for uh, another option there, catching-wise, a team that's uh, probably, likely, could be headed to the playoffs. So Dio gets to move on, and a little bittersweet. Chris Sale called it a little bittersweet, too, because uh, he was a well-liked guy in this clubhouse, or is, rather, a well-liked guy in this clubhouse, and a guy that uh, they appreciated having around, uh, but is going to move on to a situation where maybe he'll play some uh, some late October baseball. We shall see. Blue Jays certainly a good squad. Colton Turner, and we'll hear from Rick Hahn uh, just on the other side of a of a break here in a little bit. Uh, his evaluation of the young man they got, Colton Turner, um, in this trade, and we'll also uh, kind of evaluate where the catching situation sits for the Sox, both in the short term here as we round out the last 35 games of the year, and the long term going into next season. But it, it certainly looks as though this trade was made a lot simpler or a lot easier on the White Sox side of things because of the play of Omar Narvaez. And Narvaez has has swung it pretty well in his handful of ball games here at the major league level in his rookie season. It's been uh, it's been kind of fun to watch in fact because nobody really knew what you had in Omar Narvaez when he was called up to uh, take the place of Alex Avila when he went down with his second hamstring injury of the year. He was kind of this unknown quantity, even in that he hadn't played all that much in the White Sox organization, you know, and and so far in 47 plate appearances, the results have been pretty good. Hadn't hit for much power yet, but guys in their first go through the major leagues seldom do. Uh, Hitting at a 325 clip is on base, which I think is, is even more telling of anything else. At 426, he's a guy who really seems to know have a plan up there at the plate really seems to understand what a situation dictates and what he's able to do with certain pitches back there. I've been more impressed as games have gone on and granted with 14 games played, we're not talking about a whole big body of work for Omar Narvaez, but he certainly acquitted himself. Well, he came up with a reputation, a pretty decent one of a, of a catch and throw guy behind the plate. Certainly a guy who knows how to keep a running game, at least wary of the arm he's got behind the plate. It's a good one. It's fine. Uh, But I think he's become more comfortable blocking behind the plate, more comfortable moving behind the plate, and and being a little, I don't want to say active back there, because that kind of implies he's he's shifting around when uh, the pitcher is trying to deliver. But, you know, in in blocking baseballs and sliding to that outside leg and getting in front of things uh, as opposed to letting them roll into the backstop, he's been pretty good defensively and I think gotten better. That said, you know, 14 games is what it is, and Narvaez is a 24-year-old catching prospect who was uh, promoted pretty quickly through the minor leagues, all things considered, you know, him being a catcher. But it certainly sounds as though the White Sox, and we'll play some of the Rick Hahn conversation for you as we go throughout the afternoon here, but it certainly sounds like they're more and more comfortable with giving Narvaez uh, a long look at potentially being a guy that's uh, that's going to be a, a certainly a, a backup catcher and perhaps a starter. We'll have to see, but uh, but can be a, a backup type in this league and maybe even be a, a 50 to 60 games played kind of guy. That's you know a little bit more than a backup catcher. I 
you know, semantics, I suppose. But I, I, I certainly I, I tend to think of rather a, a backup catcher in that 20 to 30, maybe 35 games catched per year range. Um, in the American League, it changes a little bit, I suppose, because you've got that DH role. Not that the White Sox have used both catchers in the in the catching spot and DH spot all that often, but it has happened a couple of times this season. Um, and I don't know that necessarily that's going to be the plan for Narvaez, but uh, you kind of see where the White Sox are headed with the evaluation of that 24-year-old uh, Omar Narvaez behind the plate. That said, you know Alex Avila has come off the disabled list and is ready to rock, and that's hopefully a, a real good thing for him and a good team, good thing for this team. In the month before he hit the disabled list, 19 games. We're talking about June 1st all the way to July 5th. The last time he played a ball game, it was against the Yankees. Came out in the sixth in that one. Uh, I believe after trying to beat out the uh, the front end of a double play, he was hitting 279 in that month in those 19 games. His on-base was 405, and he was slugging 475. Had had a pretty good run, and that's as the White Sox were maybe trying to stabilize a couple of things, certainly in the midst of, of some offensive turmoil there and, and in a couple of short starts from um, – from some uh, from members of the rotation, but that was uh, as, as decent a stretch or as a solidifying a stretch um, before the All Star break as the White Sox were able to muster or had been able to muster. So Avila really played in a pretty big portion or played a pretty big portion of that section of baseball, that part of uh, that chapter of, of the season. I don't necessarily expect the power from Avila, that 475 slug, but you know, you're talking about a guy that's getting on base at a 40% clip. That's all right by me, regardless of what position he's coming from. So, uh, wanted to take a look, kind of long term, at the at the catching situation, and indeed long term at the clubs on on the whole, because Rick Hahn, the White Sox general manager, had talked quite a bit about it just a couple of days ago. We'll bring you that conversation with the press, um, and uh, just a little clip here on the other side of a quick break uh, about his evaluation of Deanna Navarro this season of the trade that got made, and Colton Turner, who's coming back and going to throw for Double A Birmingham uh, when he gets into the White Sox organization, which should be shortly, could be uh, as, as early as tonight, could be tomorrow, definitely going to be this weekend. So that's our plan for the afternoon. You also hear from uh, Ozzie Gian and Brian Anderson throughout the course. Your uh, phone calls are always welcome. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You can tweet as well at c one McKnight is the Twitter handle. We're going to take a quick break here when we come back. Rick Hahn talked yesterday about the trade of Theonor Navarro, and we will bring that to you. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. Got you uh, for another hour and, I don't know, 45 minutes, something like that. We've got uh, plenty to talk about this afternoon on the show and encourage you to get involved if you like. This White Sox team is talking quite a bit about its uh, – its future, about its uh, very near future, I guess, probably another way to put it, um, and about uh, some of the long-term stuff as well. Deanna Navarro getting traded to the Blue Jays yesterday. It happened relatively suddenly or uh, or very quickly, very close to game time, uh, probably a better way to put it. Uh, batting practice is, in fact, when Rick Hahn told Dio that he was going to be moving to the Blue Jays and Colton Turner was coming back. We'll bring you Rick Hahn's comments on the trade in just a second. Want to tell you though that you can hit the beach on December 3rd with Ron Kittle, Harold Baines, Jose Quintana, and Tyler Saladino. Oh, that's lucky. 
They get to go to uh, Iberostar Playa Mita in Riviera Nayarit, and you can too. Uh, that's in Mexico, by the way. In a week of fun activities and VIP events, visit applevacations.com slash White Sox to book. That wouldn't be all that bad. Getting out of Chicago December 3rd to go to uh, Barrowstar Playa Mita in Riviera Nayarit, Mexico for, for a whole week. And you get to hang out with Ron Kittle, Harold Baines, Jose Quintana, and Tyler Saladino. Tyler, by the way, is a fun, not that the rest aren't. Tyler's a crazy person, fun dude. Uh, so that would be an awesome trip to go down there. ton of fun. Um, anyway, want to get to uh, the comments that Rick Hahn made about the, there could be a lot of Rick Hahn on the broadcast this afternoon. But when you're, at this point in the season and still under 500 by a couple of games, you start to talk about what the offseason is going to look like for your club. That's where we're at. Uh, if you want to talk with us, too, you're more than welcome to make the phone call or hit us on Twitter. Do it. Uh, but Rick talked yesterday with a few reporters about the trade of Deanna Navarro. Wanted to bring that to you here on White Sox Weekly. Colton Turner is a left-hander who's been at three levels this year. He came back from Tommy John last season, pitched this past winter uh, in Australia, and ever since he got back seems to have uh, hit his stride well. Uh, fastball slider miss, mix, good command. You can obviously see from the numbers. He's got uh, uh, done impressive work against righties for a left-handed reliever, which is nice to see, and uh, he's going to join our Birmingham club, and we'll see where it goes from there. What's this kind of say for as we talked about yesterday, Omar's done a nice job uh, putting himself on the map as playing a role here over the next few years, and this should likely give him a few more opportunities here over the next four or five weeks to, to play on a regular basis. Uh, obviously, Diner uh, moves on to an opportunity where they're familiar with him, and uh, he'll play a role for them. So he was, uh, in, in some ways, I think he was, a little, he was shocked by the news. He was a little surprised that... Uh, he was getting moved, but appreciated the, the new opportunity to go back somewhere where he was comfortable. Is this a position, maybe even a lot of stuff to your focus on for the future? I mean, oh yeah, definitely. And I mean, and I think we've been in that situation for a few years now, where we're trying to find a long-term solution at catcher. Uh, over this past year, obviously with uh, Zach Collins in the draft, we right. took someone who we feel, over at some point in the future, is going to be able to help us there. And we acquired a kid via trade, uh, Alfredo Gonzalez, who's been playing real well in Double A, both catching and receiving well. And I think he's hitting about 320 or 330 down there, and uh, acclimating himself well. So th- there are some options in the pipeline, but certainly heading into this offseason, we're going to uh, need to find a direction for 2017 and some answers for 2017 behind the plate. Is there any concerns though about Alex's injury? Injury issues he's had this year. And well, yeah, I think he's missed far more time than he had hoped. Uh, you know, knock on wood, he hasn't had any recurrence of the concussion problem, which was an issue for him a few years back. And uh, although perhaps the hamstring is somehow related to some of the knee issues he's had in the past, it's uh, unfortunately sapped a little bit more time than, than he had hoped this year. You said that Diner was a little surprised by the news. When did he find out? Because we saw him in the clubhouse before the game. And he, didn't... he found out after you saw him. <laughs> no, he, uh, I told him during batting practice. He was back in the clubhouse, and I, I grabbed him during batting practice to let him know. What did, he, what did he say? He was like, oh, really? Actually, he was, uh, coincidentally, he was texting with someone from the Blue Jays at the time, a player on the Blue Jays, which he showed me. Uh, and the player was asking him if he had heard anything about them possibly going after him again. And when I was explaining to him that he'd been traded, he started typing in, yeah, I just heard something. <laughs> <laughs> and then I asked him, I texting before the game, and yeah. he was kind of, usually he's talking to him. Right, right. No, he, he was told during BP. Greg, is it safe to say that Toronto wanted him and 
they pursued him through you? Well, yeah. I mean, we were having dialogue with a lot of different clubs on a handful of different players, and uh, this was something that came together over the last three days. So that's Rick Hahn on the trade of Deion Navarro. Now, I think a fair question and one that got asked in uh, in that conversation with with Rick is, you know, where is the the focus, I suppose, for the future on the catching situation for the White Sox? You know, as they approached the trade deadline, one of the things that Rick said a couple of times, uh, and, and it's completely true, is that they were in a kind of a, a weird situation. Well, I shouldn't say weird, but a, a fairly different situation in that when a club gets to a point at the trade deadline and they're a little bit out of it and looking to, you know, they had ruled out adding any players that were just going to help for the 2016 season, then the next kind of logical point is, all right, who's a free agent on this club? Who's, you know, a guy that could potentially move on to a different team after the season ends anyway, and what can you get for him? You know, I mean, that's, that's boilerplate stuff. That's trade deadline normalcy. But for the White Sox, it was kind of interesting in that pretty much just Deonor and Alex Avila were free agents at the end of the year. Yeah, Austin Jackson, yes, and Justin Morneau, obviously. You know, there were a couple others that were, you know, that, that are pending free agents. But Morneau had basically just gotten to the big league level. So if there was a trade, if there was any interest in him at that point, it would have been completely speculative, and you're not likely to get anything much back. Uh, Austin was obviously on the disabled list and not playing, so you know that kind of precludes any kind of deal for him. And that just leaves you with both catchers. Not you need catchers first and foremost. Avila had gotten hurt a couple of times. July 5th, last time he played a ball game. He's in the lineup tonight, though, for the White Sox. We'll give you the lineup in a little bit here. Um, in the lineup and batting eight, back at it too, and had just been having a, a really great month, uh, like we talked about, hitting 280 on base at 405. So. That still begs the question whether Avila, who had had a fairly decent month, or Navarro, who did not have a good go with the bat at all, in fact, was was one of the lower-rated full-time players all season, all year long in his playing time. I think a negative two-something war, it just just wasn't there for Dio, unfortunately, this year. And uh, hopefully he can go help Toronto, and, and hopefully Colton Turner can help the White Sox in some level, or at some level. Um, but to move on and to go ahead and solidify that catching position is is going to have to be some. Well, you saw it in the draft, and Rick kind of mentioned that. I, I think Zach Collins is going to be or can be one heck of a player. I think what I like most is the fact that at every level he's he's been at in high school and at college at Miami, and so far through the minor leagues, he's shown a quite quite a discerning eye at the plate. He's he's had patience. He's understood what he wants to hit and what he can hit and what he can't hit. And that's led him to some pretty high on-base percentages. What has also helped that on-base is the fact that he can absolutely mash the ball. And and pitchers have to respect that kind of power. Uh, We'll see if he stays behind the plate. It's certainly something the White Sox seem to think. I talked with Nick Hostetler right around the draft and a couple of times since, and he's been around the ballpark some. They're pretty adamant, uh, Nick and the rest of the scouting department, are pretty adamant that Collins can stick behind the plate uh, and and stay that kind of athletic catcher that – that you like to see that said looking into this free agent class, you know, coming up this off season, the, the list of players in general and catchers specifically aren't exactly going to knock your, your socks off 
pun intended, I guess. Wilson Ramos having a fantastic season for the Nationals at age 29 is certainly the cream of the crop. I don't think the Rangers, after having just traded for Jonathan Lucroy, are going to buy him out of a five-and-a-quarter million-dollar option, so I think you can take him off the list. Alex Avila himself will be a free agent. Jason Castro, who's not exactly been um, the quality hitter that the Astros had hoped, is on this list. Josh Tolley, Matt Wieters, of course, who was uh, one of the first players. I always forget if Wieters or Colby Rasmus with the Astros was the first player to actually accept a qualifying offer in this past offseason. I think it was Rasmus, but Wieters wasn't all that far behind. He took the qualifying offer from the Orioles, and you would imagine that although Wieters hasn't had that great a season, uh, with what he does behind the plate defensively, pretty good catcher there, you would think that perhaps the Orioles would offer him yet another qualifying offer, despite the fact that that number goes up. Um, so you, you'd have to uh, sacrifice not only the dollars to sign him, but also the draft pick too. So, you know, the questions behind the plate uh, exist for the White Sox. Alex Avila has not been uh, – he's just been hurt a lot, you know. He's been good when he's been out there, but you have to be out there, especially as a catcher, to matter and to provide value for the club. So, you know, while it could be worth another spin with Alex – and perhaps with Omar Narvaez in a backup role, Rick seems to be in the, in the White Sox and be pretty happy with him. Um, there are questions around this position that uh, that beg asking, and we've gotten some answers from them or, or about them uh, over the last couple of days as the, uh, the the waiver deadline, the waiver trades have come around. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to get involved with the show, you are more than welcome to do so. we got the news coming up at 4 after that, we'll hear from Rick Hahn and his conversation with reporters two days ago uh, about the larger scope of where the ball club is at, uh, his response to some reports that had been out there, and some conversation about some of the injuries uh, that, unfortunately, the White Sox will not uh, be getting back players from uh, throughout the course of the, uh, well, just the last month of the season, I suppose. September's right around the corner. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. Got a jam-packed show for you. Plenty of time for you, though. Uh, that'd be next, because right now we're going to take a listen to Rick Hahn's uh, conversation with reporters. This is, let's see, it's Saturday. Yesterday was Friday, which means Thursdays when Rick Hahn had his conversation with reporters. We'll get to that in just a second. want to let you know, though that you can celebrate the Bulls Sox Academy's 15-year anniversary with a free open house on Saturday, September 24th. It's from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's in Lyle. Kids can participate in a skills competition, watch the mascot home run derby. That would be fun. You can take a photo with the World Series trophy and more. Visit BullsSoxAcademy.com for more information. That's BullsSoxAcademy.com. Again, it's September 24th from 11 a.m., to 2 p.m. in Lyle. That is a Saturday. Meanwhile, September, not meanwhile, it's in addition, it is a Saturday on September 24th. That's uh, it could be a fun time for the kids. So uh, you're listening to White Sox Weekly. I think I told you that. I, I think I also told you that your phone call is more than welcome in this next segment after we've uh, listened to Rick Hahn's comments to reporters yesterday, Thursday, uh, about the state of the franchise, uh, a couple of rumors that have been swirling around the club, and kind of addressing the future plans now, or at least talking about why the direction of this franchise that's been so asked about here in the last handful of weeks 
um, can't be elucidated maybe as clearly as a lot of people would like because it, it would severely impact the competitive advantage that a team might have if it just kind of declared all of its plans. Get to it here in a couple of minutes, and Rick makes it all pretty clear as we go. So uh, here's the ball game, the, the plan of attack for the next half hour or so on White Sox Weekly. You'll hear Rick Hahn have that conversation. Uh, then you and I can have that conversation about what we talked about over the last uh, 15 minutes or so when we come back. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. We'll also hear from Todd Frazier today. Had a, a pretty good conversation with Rachel Brady in the clubhouse, I'm told. So we'll, we'll bring you that. Uh, and we had a great talk with Ozzie Guillen and Brian Anderson about the upcoming Larry A. Pagoski Celebrity All-Star Celebrity Softball Challenge on the 10th of September. And we got that whole conversation for you. Um, probably after the 4.30 news, I think, is when we will bring that to you. So that is your plan here. Without further ado, is Rick Hahn talking with reporters Thursday in the White Sox dugout. Do you have a preference on the new name of the stadium? <laughs> <laughs> the, way, the way I view the naming thing, you know, fans are going to call it what fans are going to call it. It's going to be... You know, guaranteed rate field. It's going to be something cute off of that. It's going to be Comiskey. It's going to be New Comiskey. It's going to be Sox Park. It's going to be whatever people come up with naturally. From my standpoint, uh, my focus is fairly fairly narrow. It depends more about what goes on on the field and what goes on around the ballpark in terms of what it's named. Uh, I do know this is a, an opportunity to add a little bit of revenue to the operations, which is, our, then our, is then our responsibility to channel properly in the best way to get us better on the field. So certainly in favor of, uh, of seemingly uh, any move that's going to help enhance our revenue and give us a better opportunity to potentially win. You went and saw Birdie in, in uh-huh. Maryland. Um, what, what impressed you about him, and is he uh, a potential person? You know, he's sure making it hard. Right. He's sure making it difficult. It, it's funny. One of the things that uh, we want Zach to work with uh, or work on is his, his uh, consistency with his delivery out of the stretch. The only problem is that he's not letting any base runners on, <laughs> so he's not really having a lot of opportunity to work on that, and we aren't going to tell him to put more guys on. Uh, but, no, in all seriousness, he's a lot has already been thrown at this kid, and he's responded uh, essentially at every every outing, except for I think the first one at Birmingham was rough. Uh, it, it's been a lot about, you know, consistency of his delivery and fastball command and fairly simplistic stuff uh, that he's taken to very quickly, and, and he's got a world of ability. He's certainly, uh, whether it's in September or it's next year, I think it's, uh, it's not too far away that he's going to be able to help our big league club. Would you address the lockstep that Jerry Reinsdorf talked about with the front office right now? And Kaplan's report uh, that uh, there was a division between you and uh, Ken? Yeah, the the frustrating thing is it seems like every few months we need to have this same conversation. Uh, And the fact of the matter is, is I have no idea where a unnamed random report of any discord at the deadline came from. That's it's simply untrue. Uh, there was no uh, uh, trade or direction or whatever it was described as vetoed, so to speak, at the deadline. And uh, we are of a similar mindset as to how best to proceed. And we've had a number of conversations, both Kenny and I, as well as Kenny, Jerry, and I, uh, about the best way to approach the offseason and what we want to accomplish. And once the offseason rolls around, we will start uh, executing that plan. 
you, you see where people sometimes have a problem figuring out where things are coming from. I mean, you're the general manager. You've been the voice of the team since you've been the general manager, yet there is this belief out there that um, not all of it comes from you. Do you understand that, or have you, can you relate to it from a fan or a media's perspective? It's hard for me to relate to it from a media perspective. Okay. How about a fan's perspective? From a fan perspective, sure. Uh, no, in all seriousness, we've had these conversations going back to the day I assumed the position about how this operation works. I've been here now for 16 years, been part of uh, essentially every major decision from the start when I got here, and that's involved sitting down with both Kenny and Jerry and having an open dialogue and exchange of ideas and coming to what we felt was the best decision as a group. Uh, I would not have taken the position of general manager if I didn't think it was a recipe for us to be able to have success as a group. Uh, I understand why from time to time it, it comes up, especially when there's some unnamed report of discord, uh, but it, it, at this point it's just, frankly, tired news and repetitive and there's nothing, there's nothing there. Nothing, none of us would be here doing what we do if we didn't feel we were set up to, to have the potential for success. We don't have to do this. We want to do this in order to bring another championship to this organization and to Jerry and to the White Sox fans. And we wouldn't be putting any of us, myself included, would not put ourselves in a position where we didn't think we were capable of doing that. So your relationship hasn't really changed with Kenny and Jerry with the changing of titles? Because like you said, you've been around for a long time. You've been in a position of It's power. always been in a matter of open dialogue. Okay. I mean, now that I'm the general manager, yes, my responsibilities are different than when I was assistant general manager. But over the course of the last four years, it's been the same in terms of how we've gone about trying to be bringing something to the table and trying to push it through when I when I believe in it. I, I know you guys aren't going to we have a sense of what we want to do, but you know, frankly, regardless of which direction it is, we'll take the two extremes, full rebuild or add-on. We're still in the middle of a season. We've got 25 guys in there and a coaching staff that are trying to win a ball game tonight. If I were to come out here and talk about, oh, and the, look, we're going to do a full rebuild, everything must go, that's disrespectful to what they're trying to accomplish. Even if the, excuse me, if it was the other extreme and it would say we're going to continue to fight and go for it and plug the holes, it begs the question, well, where are the holes? And that's disrespectful to the guys who are currently in the clubhouse. It's just not the time of year to be laying out off-season plans. We're working on it. We're exploring a lot of different angles internally and trying to come up with priorities and, and so we can hit the ground running when the time's appropriate. But in terms of uh, laying that out publicly, this isn't this simply isn't the right time. And I and I get that that may well be a little bit frustrating from the outside, but it's just it, it's not where we're at in the cycle. Is it ever a proper time to tell the other 2019s exactly where you're at? No, but if we, uh, you know, I think by the time our first, if not second, transaction of the offseason are come is announced publicly, it's going to be fairly clear as to our direction. And, and while we certainly aren't going to say, and next on our list is this. I think it's going to be obvious at least what we're trying to accomplish. Kevin mentioned a couple weeks back that you'd like to come back next season. When do you start to have those conversations with him and with the We've had a lot of conversations internally, not just over the last couple of weeks, but the last couple of months about where we're at. And ultimately, as I, as I previously have said a couple of times now, uh, we're going to address all of that at the end of the season. That's when, the, that's when it's the most appropriate time, whether it's 
the manager, or the coaching staff, or scouts, front office, any sort of changes like that, or any announcements of extensions or whatever, all that stuff's going to wait until the offseason. What's the uh, update on Austin Jackson? Austin's progressing, but unfortunately it's at a rather slow pace. He's not yet uh, undertaking baseball activities. As a result, I would not expect him back this season. What about Matt Davidson? I wouldn't expect Davidson back either. It was, it was a pretty bad fracture, and it's progressing, and he's hitting the early milestones, but there's there's just not enough time left for either of those two to get back. And Brent, Lori? Lori uh, had a follow-up MRI on, on both the knee and the uh, and the calf. I want to make sure I had that right. It wasn't the quad. It was the calf. Uh, everything structurally is clean. He received some medicine in the joint there. We're going to let that work for a couple of days, and we're going to try to ramp up activity again and see how it goes. No specific time frame on that yet. What do you make of the way Abreu, I mean, Abreu's played at sort of league average up until this last couple weeks. What do you make of this last couple weeks, and how does that kind of affect your guys' offense? Magic of Darielle's presence. <laughs> <laughs> I like that story, though. Uh, and he was here today, and he came and actually met Jerry. It was, it was nice. Anyway, uh, Abreu struggled early on. I mean, I think we saw him fighting himself a little bit. It was really his first time probably in his life, and certainly in the States, where, where he struggled. And inevitably, league makes, the league makes an adjustment to you, and it becomes incumbent upon the player to make the adjustment back. And I think we've seen that now, and he's looking a heck of a lot more like the player uh, that he was over the first two years, and certainly a very important presence in the middle of the lineup. I know the ups and downs of the season has probably helped you establish that off-season plan, but is there something you want to see or could see over the next month that would change some of those plans? Well, I think you see stuff in certain individuals about how they fit going forward. Take, take for example, the young catcher Navarez. I mean, he's come up here out of double-A without much experience even above A-ball, and I think he's really acclimated himself well to the big leagues. He's putting himself on the map for the next several years of playing some sort of role on, on this club going forward. Not just the way the bats he's given you, but the way he's handled some of our pitchers, especially Carlos, has, uh, has opened some eyes around here. You said a, you said a rebuild was possibly in the works. That still, is that still on the table? Everything's on the table, absolutely. The only, as I said, leading up to the deadline, the only thing we took off the table then was going to be adding short-term rentals for the 2016 season and that we were looking at every angle of how best to get ourselves in a sustainable position going forward. That includes the extreme of you know, going to the rebuild. But again, nothing, nothing more other than me saying again that we're going to be looking at this from every angle and we're going to have a plan in place, we're going to execute that plan once the offseason starts, is really going to be revealed about direction until it's more appropriate. Rebuild has never been been, uh, Jerry's style or or your style. Okay, but there's also comes a point where there's a level of frustration with the way things are playing out over the last couple of years, so you need to open your mind to different approaches. Again, I'm not saying that's the route we're going to go, but I assure you there is absolute openness from Jerry, Kenny, myself, and everyone in that front office to looking for the best path to get us on an extended period of success, even if that involves a short-term step back. All the coaches uh, on the contract through the season? Uh, I don't think we've ever discussed the length of the coaches' contracts, and we'll announce at the end of the season the plans for the coaches. Palmer moving forward for the rest of this season, and why was it the right time to kind of stretch it back out? He, you know, he only got about 11 innings of work in the four-plus weeks that he was here, and we were starting to fall a little bit behind from a uh, innings and development standpoint going forward. 
So we wanted to get him back to the minors, get him consistent work, and starting was probably the way to obviously add the most innings over the short period of time that was left in that season. I think he benefited and will will benefit going forward from the time up here and seeing how big league hitters reacted to his stuff and the areas he needed to improve. And I know Coop felt strongly that he was able to develop a rapport with the kid and work on some specific things. But it came to the point where he just wasn't getting enough work up here, so let's get him back on track in the minors. Everyone saw the uh, video game-like numbers uh, Hanson had at Great yeah. Falls, but oh, what's his path look like? I mean, could he help as early as next year? You, think? Uh, you know what? It's been an interesting 60-some-odd weeks for this kid. You go back to right after the 2015 draft, and I think a lot of people viewed him as potentially a top five, if not number one pick in the country. He then struggled as a junior, which had him, to our benefit, available to us in the, in the second round when we made the selection. Now he went off and dominated rookie ball, and people are talking about could he possibly help next year. I, I think right now we just want to continue to build upon the success he's had. I, 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 as an organization, obviously you're very happy for the kid. It's a great guy to have under control. I think it's a nice organizational victory for our scouts, having identified a guy who our player development guys could help fix, and, and guys like Matt Zaleski and Kurt Hassler having such success with this kid so quickly shows that you know the scouting and the player development were on the same page there and able to, to execute their plan effectively. So as for what the future holds, we'll see. He's going to make a start in Kannapolis here, I think, tomorrow, tonight or tomorrow, uh, and uh, hopefully continues to build on that success. Nick mentioned uh, Clay Overcash, I think, was on him yeah. pretty much from the beginning. Yeah. Clay had him from the start as an area scout. Right and, and, and uh, you know, he in, in the draft room there were guys saying, let's – throw out this recent stuff because there's specific elements we can get better, get him better at mechanically and get him back to who he was uh, going into after that sophomore year. And, and so far it's turned out great. That's the general manager, Rick Hahn, talking on a number of different uh, different topics about the, the current, the future of this ball club, both of them. Uh, we come back, we'll talk about it. We'll also, uh, Rachel Brady had a pretty good conversation with Todd Frazier in the clubhouse about uh, Deion Arvaro getting traded and and where Todd's been at over the last handful of weeks. Things had kind of ticked up him for him offensively. We'll get to that as well. Your phone calls, too, at 312-591-8900. We'll be right back here on White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890 and the Sox Radio Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We are coming up about an hour and ten minutes or so before we get set for the pregame show, and the White Sox and Mariners are set to duel in Game 3 of 4 this afternoon here at U.S. Cellular Field. Just got done taking a long listen to Rick Hahn's conversation with reporters two days ago. We also heard him talk some about Deanna Navarro's being traded to the Blue Jays. Colton Turner, a minor leaguer, coming back in return. A 25-year-old guy who's going to throw a double-A, kind of coming back from Tommy John surgery. Lefty. So that's a good thing. He had moved through a couple of levels this season, which is also a good thing. Um, what hadn't been good, and, and we can be honest about it, I think, and I think we had been honest about it for the course of, I think the White Sox have been honest about it for most of the season. Dio was having a rough year at the plate. There's, there's really no two ways around it. The hope was, the philosophy was behind kind of changing the catcher situation during the offseason. And I talked with Rick about this at Sox Fest all the way back in the in the winter. You know, they had traded some defense in Tyler Flowers, some really good defense. Uh, we're talking about pitch framing, too, for guys that were a little more notable with the stick. And, you know, through baseball's weird ironies, cruelties, and it's just kind of happenstance, Tyler's having a pretty decent year 
at the plate with uh, with Atlanta, and Avila has struggled to stay healthy. Though, for the most part, not at the beginning of the season. The first month was rough. But for the most part, has hit fairly well when up there. We gave you his numbers through the, uh, the month of June and into the first couple of games of July, 280, 400 uh, average and on base there, respectively. Uh, while Dio hasn't really come around, hadn't really come around with the bat. So a move that you made to try and bolster the offense. Um, Navarro had come off three pretty good seasons, especially for a catcher both with the Blue Jays, two with the Blue Jays, and one with the Cubs, if uh, memory serves, then you'd kind of expected that track record to carry through for a veteran and play here, or hoped that it would, rather. Uh, That unfortunately wasn't the case. So, you know, as you kind of look down the end, or look down for the future here, the conversation turns, I think, to to where the catching position is going to set up for you down the line. Uh, Omar Narvaez has gotten kind of that vote of confidence, but even still, it's been 14 games here at the major league level, and while all signs are are, are quality, are plus, nothing about his history in the minor leagues will tell you that's a, a first division catcher. Certainly could be, absolutely could play out to be that kind of guy. Had never really flashed some power, which a lot of catchers get away with not having a whole lot of. Um, but if he puts together long at bats like he does, uh, has a, a, a pretty good command. Um, of his on-base skills as he seems to or as he has had in the last 15. Certainly a guy that can be a, a more than viable backup, a guy you can trust for a stretch of time if your one goes down or, or maybe he even does develop into a one. Who knows? He's 24, and catchers seem to take a lot more time to season in the minor leagues than, uh, generally speaking, than, than other positions uh, at the plate and defensively as well. So who knows? You could have a, kind of a budding guy in Omar Narvaez. Uh, whose name, by the way, is pronounced differently by everybody who who gets to pronounce it. I some people put the R after where it after the V where it actually is, kind of like a Brett Favre situation. Yeah, that uh, that R is definitely after the V, but they put it before. Doesn't matter. That's a broadcaster thing. Everything's fine. Uh, Omar Narvaez has been uh, fun to watch this season. We're going to step to a break real quickly here. Um, and I know I, I promised that we'd bring some of uh, Rachel Brady's conversation with Todd Frazier to you sooner rather than later, but I've I've gone and get myself up to the 4.30 news, so we're going to have to push that back just a touch. We will bring it to you, though. Todd was uh, making a couple of, of great comments and, and points about Dio here in the clubhouse and about his last couple of weeks. Uh, but Ozzie Gian and Brian Anderson and I had a chance to sit down, talk baseball, talk about the Larry A. Pagoski All-Star Celebrity Challenge, which is coming up on the 10th of September. Uh, so we want to bring you that conversation when we come back from the news here at 4.30, which we'll, uh, we'll go to now. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. I kind of see I was sitting in the living room with Benji the other day helping him put together the auction items, and it's a win-win for us, too, because all of our former teammates come, and we get to see the guys that we used to play against. And uh, from what I hear, we have to try hard, too, because the winner gets 60% of the, the money for the charity, and the loser gets 40 so it's a win-win. Well, you got to go to spring training. i got to make the guys go two weeks to to spring trying to be ready for the game. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because when you do a celebrity golf, uh, golf hole, ba- uh, basketball or softball game, people think, oh, well, whatever. You know, what I mean, you just go there and have fun and have a couple beers. But I, I think, I think it would be fun for the fans. And then the night before, we're gonna get together and sure we talk to them and say thank you to everyone show up. But during the game, you know, before the game, they're gonna have a little bit of baseball clinic for the kids. Yeah. But it's not gonna be a, like, wow. We got to make your kid be a big league player. Nah, because a lot of people got to take their kids. Say, you go there, 
Right. He might play in the big league. No, no, it'll take a little while for that. But just to be around with the players, right. just to talk to them and, and, and be close to the players, uh, that, to me, that's more important than the game. Well, that'd be a really cool thing for kids to go to. I mean, you show up, you get to do this whole thing, play a little baseball, and then the dudes who taught you, you know, for the last hour and a half, you get to go see mash home runs and stuff during a softball. That'd be really sweet. Well, he didn't uh, want to hit I'm, I'm, I mean, well, it's funny. <laughs> a few years back, I remember Frank Thomas and Carlos Lee and I, we all swung and missed the first pitch, and he was all over us saying, you guys can't hit anymore, you're out of shape, and this and that, and... We, I mean, it's been a great time. I mean, I'm excited to be back, and I think he'll be excited. He'll, he's always a good time. He'll razz us for, you know, ma- making a mistake. And trust me, there'll be plenty of mistakes being made, balls being thrown that slow. Right, right. Well, it's funny because I never, I played so, you know, so many years in big league. Right. I never got hurt. The only got hurt when Tim Ring hit me. But I played one inning softball, <laughs> celebrity softball game, and I got hurt. Nobody believed me. People thought I don't want to play. Well, I couldn't even walk for like two, three days. And the first time I have an injury playing the game now, is it, I have to get in shape and be in shape and I'm, I'm start going right now. So I'm looking down, you know, the list of some of these players. For the White Sox, uh, Jermaine Dye, Ray Durham, Maglio Ordonez, Carlos Lee, Scott Pizzetti. I mean, these are big names. For the Cubs, you've got Kerry Wood and John Lieber and Cliff Fo- Floyd and Carlos Zambrano. <laughs> these are guys, listen... Like, I would imagine that the level of competition throughout the afternoon is kind of kind of ratchet up each inning, you know, as yeah. your scores go up and stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're going to make bets. I know that. I promise you, I bet Carlos Zambrano hits the farthest ball there. Uh, yeah, that guy matches home run. You know, but I play, when we played against the Cubs in the past, uh, it's funny because they take the game more serious. That's a football game when we take the crosstown game. Right. When I was playing, I don't know about now, but when we play, we always, we always beat them. You know what I mean? Even when I was playing. We play exhibition games, cross town games. We take it seriously. They don't. But now it's the opposite. You know, so you see those guys so in shape right now. You know, I mean, you look at Cliff Floyd like, whoa, wow, you're in better shape now than what you was playing. Then you see Frank Thomas and say, oh, you retired for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell Frank that. He's not going to. Oh, you know, I can tell Frank whatever I want because I know I don't know what to lie. No, I mean, you see him on MLB Network, Floyd or, or Frank on, on wherever you see him. He's all over oh, yeah. the place, too. <laughs> Good Lord. I mean, Cliff's filling out the whole thing with just pure muscle. I mean, these guys, they still stay in shape. Well, you know what's funny? uh, You know, Frank lives in Chicago with his kids and his wife. You know, my man is living in South Beach. You got to look good. (laughs) It's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. I mean, (laughs) but I promise you this much. A lot of the guys on that list right there secretly are sneaking to the softball batting cages or maybe on the treadmill at least a week before because, like Ozzy was saying, none of us want to blow out or hurt our knee, but... You know, we're in our 30s, 40s now, so I mean, it, the, the days of just going out there and running it out there are over. So. I, I feel like up until September 10th, which is when the, the ball game is out there at Schaumburg Boomer Stadium, I feel like it'd be a good idea for fans to like head out to their local batting cages, maybe get Snapchat out and stuff, because you'll probably find some of those players in there. <laughs> or just like look, at, or look at one of the local parks, then you'd be flipping me flipping softballs. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because my kids go, oh, we got to take them serious this year. And we'll do say, why? Because if you lose, it's 40. And, and, and you win 60. I said, well, we're going to donate 100% of the money right. we're going to get. Who cares who lost and who wins? I said, why I going to have a meeting before the game? Told the guy, let's go, boys. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be number one, don't get hurt. Don't number get two, hurt. have fun. Yeah. Number three, hopefully they, we, we, we win. And we, we played, yeah. Hopefully yeah. we play. I think this, you know what I mean? Uh, doing the game, you know, it's hard. More, maybe I will do more the autograph than playing. I will worry about more signing autograph for the people around them, then play the game. Maybe the real players, they want to play and have fun, but me, I'm too old for that. When I'm done, my mind is somewhere else. And, but, you know what I mean, the, 
because just to show up and you want to see so many all-stars, former players together, yeah. that's the hardest thing to do, to put it together, and hopefully the people have fun. Talking with Ozzie Guillen and Brian Anderson here about the Larry A. Pagofsky Celebrity All-Star Challenge out there at Schaumburg Boomer Stadium on the 10th of September. Still tickets I'm out there for you. Yeah, show them the jersey. This isn't going to translate much on radio, but the cameras are here. Put it here. The jersey's the right jersey, there. We got the jersey pretty nice. I don't know they're they're good colors. looking. It looks sweet. Yeah, yeah good looking. Yeah. Don't say that because they may, they might somebody copy that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what are you? Are you going to make up a lineup card? Are you? Uh, are you still into making lineup no, cards? Yes, I, I make the lineup card. I make a lot of bad lineup cards. I don't mind <laughs> make another one, but I make the good ones too. Yeah, I mean, you know, we just uh, go there and, and, and try to to the people have fun. The lineup card, obviously. I know I, who against, I compete with sure. or against. They're going to be serious because this is not the first time for us to play against them. Yeah. Oh, my God. They show up and, right. you know, Matthew Jr. was hitting balls, landing O'Hare Airport last time. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, this is for fun. This is not a real thing. Well, you know, I mean, but, you know I mean, when you put your uniform, no, you know, I mean, before the game is for fun. But as soon as you put a uniform, you don't want to look bad. You want to play good for the fans. Does it get the juices going? I mean, I know both of you guys have, have you know, played, and, I mean, Brian, you, you try to come back as a pitcher, too. I mean, this is a, there's a this game has people, has the claws in people, and just won't it's let just you the go. It's competitiveness of it. Yeah. I mean, you look at Jamie Moyer, out of anyone on that field, when he's flipping up those balls to us, they're cutting, he's throwing knuckleballs, <laughs> and that guy is still competitive at 50-plus yeah. yeah. years old. Yeah, so. well, yeah, the only reason, you know, is Jamie Moyer pitched to us. He will throw the same way he was pitching for last Ten years. Yeah, same speed. <laughs> same speed. About 47 same speed. on the fastball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we have to be careful for that. Do you, uh, what, are you, what are you up to now, Ozzy? I mean, I, I know you're going back and forth, and you love what you're doing now. Do you ever imagine yourself back in baseball? Is that something you're looking at doing? Oh, you know, some days I love to be back because that's my goal. That's my, the one thing I really want. But I know the days I wake up and I go, thank God I'm not there. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I do so many things right now. Yeah. You know, I worked with ESPN. Then, you know, me now I, I'm I'm involved with a Mexican team. Mm-hmm. I got to manage in the Winter League team. You know, me I try to keep myself busy to try to stay with the same life I used to be have, because my wife sometimes hate me, and <laughs> she hates me. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes, most of the time. <laughs> but uh, that's why I try to stay busy, play golf. My golf game got a lot better. Sure. And you know, watching good fights and everything, I try to keep myself busy because I'm so outgoing. And to try to stay at the same level it was in the past, I do all the stuff. My wife will appreciate that. You've seen your former teammates, you know, guys that you grew up with in the league. I know you grew up in a, a baseball hotbed, right? I mean, there were a ton of guys, like, for your Little League teams that all went on to go play football. Yeah, out in Tucson, we had, like, five guys um, from, you know, two, three-year span that I played there. And we were lucky enough. I mean, we got three World Series rings. And I, Ian Kinsler made it to the World Series twice yeah. and didn't win. So, I mean, that's pretty crazy to think that. Four guys out of five that made it to the big leagues could have had a ring. So, I mean, anywhere, anywhere you go nowadays, it doesn't matter where. You can go to Alaska and you're going to find good baseball talent out there now. I mean, it's everywhere. Do you want to stay in the game? Are you looking to stay connected, whether that's, you know, because I, I, you're a well-spoken man. The deep beef fits you well. I mean, are you going to do a little broadcasting here? Oh, it's a deep, deep beef. Deep, but, deep. Oh, my uh, no, uh, the frat boy looks out. But I actually, I, I moved out to Chicago. I hope to get involved with the White Sox or even just get involved in Chicago sports, do some radio, TV. Hopefully, uh, if Bill Milton would ever retire, I mean, he's been doing it for 78 years. I need, yeah. to, I need to tell him to go, go pick up golf or go do something because as long as he's there, because he does a great job he too. He does. But as long as he's there, they're just like, yeah, you, we'll, we'll let you fill in when he when he takes a vacation, which he never does. No, no. Well, well he's, he's in vacation. Oh yeah, he that's true. Do, he that's true. Do, what, Twenty-five minutes a night. You know what I mean? But <laughs> I, 
I think I think the White Sox is is be nice to start getting those people back. Yeah. You know, the people used to be work for them, get them back and, and get involved someplace and somehow. I think it'd be nice for the fans and nice for them to, you know, uh, knowing them, they always do. You know, Jerry's always want to keep the guys back. You know, he got TV, he got Richard Dobson, he got Harold Young, he got a bunch of guys as a former players with the team. And I think I think you should do more more often that people want to see the, the former players with the organization. So that's part one of Ozzy Guillen, Brian Anderson, and myself. We all got together and sat down in the sound lounge at the WLS studios a couple of days ago, talked a little bit about the celebrity, the Larry A. Pagoski Celebrity All-Star Softball Challenge. That's coming up on the 10th of September, and uh, we'll tell you when we come back how to get some Get yourself involved, get some tickets for that whole thing, and have a grand old time out at the Schomburg Boomers Stadium. Uh, Part two of that interview will play just after the 5 o'clock news. We talked a lot about baseball, the state of the game, uh, where the White Sox are at, all this, all the good stuff, too. Um, So we'll bring you that right after 5. Want to get you the interview that Rachel Brady did with Todd Frazier about an hour ago. We'll get that on the other side of a quick break. You can, however, follow White Sox Baseball live with the MLB.com at Bat app. You get to stay up to the moment at any moment with game day, live game, video highlights, stat cast, news, and more. I think what I like most about the uh, the game day app, or the uh, the at-bat app, I should say, is you hit the game day tab uh, while you're while you're tracking a ball game, and it'll it'll give you the pitch effects for every pitch that's thrown in the ball game, whether it was a strike or a ball, where it landed on pitch tracks, all this stuff. It's great to watch, especially if you're in a spot where it's maybe like you know, not socially acceptable to be actually watching a baseball game, you know, like one of those late summer weddings or, you know, church or something like that. You can keep track of this whole thing, watch the ball game uh, without actually having to, you know, completely devote your attention to it because it would be uh, otherwise awkward to do so. It is an awesome app. You can download the MLB.com at Bat app. Uh, It's the number one app for live baseball on your phone and your tablet. We come back, uh, a conversation with Todd Frazier. We'll bring you the second half of our sit-down with Ozzie Guillen and Brian Anderson in the 5 o'clock hour. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AMA 90. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. Just aired the, uh, the first part of two it was a conversation that Ozzy Guillen and Brian Anderson and myself had uh, talking a lot about uh, baseball, about life, about uh, the Larry A. Pagofsky All-Star Celebrity Softball Challenge coming up on the 10th of September. Uh, part two coming up a little bit later in the show, just after the 5 o'clock news. Wanted to let you know that uh, tomorrow is Husky Day at U.S. Cellular Field. When you purchase tickets using the Northern Illinois University ticket code, fans will receive a ticket voucher. Good for a one-of-a-kind White Sox NIU co-branded hat. Northern Illinois University, your future, our focus. Purchase your tickets today by visiting whitesox.com slash NIU. That's whitesox.com slash NIU. Today is Star Wars Day at the park, uh, so may the force be with you on the way out here or wherever you're headed this Saturday evening. A couple of things that we hadn't done yet that we usually do, that we always do here on White Sox Weekly, that are coming up throughout the course of the show. Uh, you'll hear from James Shields a little bit later. He talked some uh, about the trade of Tiana Navarro. Todd Frazier talked with Rachel Brady about an hour and a half ago. We will bring you that in just a few minutes. The second part of our conversation with Ozzie and Brian Anderson is coming up as well. Lineup for today, 
looks like this for the White Sox. Adam Eaton, Tim Anderson, and Melky Cabrera go one, two, and three. Eaton is in center field today. Jose Abreu, Todd Frazier, Justin Morneau go four, five, and six in their usual spots. Abreu at first, Frazier at third, Morneau is going to DH. Seven, eight, and nine are Avi Garcia in right field. Alex Avila is going to do the catching today. First game back for Alex since uh, July 5th. When And we talked about Alex a lot in the course of the conversation about Deanna Navarro being traded, too. Um, he was having a pretty good month of June and into July uh, before hitting the disabled list. Tyler Saladino rounds things out, batting nine and playing second base. Meanwhile, our own Rachel Brady caught up with Todd Frazier in the clubhouse today. A lot of conversation about the trade of Deanna Navarro. And, and the two got into a little bit uh, the play of Todd Frazier um, in the last handful of weeks as well. So take a listen. I was one that found out uh, basically uh, right after BP. I didn't know more. No came up and told me. I'm pretty upsetting. I played with him in Cincinnati. Same thing kind of happened. And then uh, <clears throat> now here, uh, good guy, great veteran status, and uh, guy you look up to, you know, because he comes to the ballpark and uh, works on his craft every day, and uh, he will be missed. But he's going to a, a contender right now, a team he's been with, and I told him good luck and, you know, try and win a championship. Why not? Yeah, you said his role as a veteran. He was almost a mentor to some of the guys on the team. Talk about that role. Yeah, I mean, especially to the catchers and the pitchers. Uh, who guy who knew how to pitch, I, I think uh, Cooper would would attest to this, our pitching coach, that, you know, he understood the game very well, um, knew how to work the counts, knew how to work the, the batters, and, you know, a guy like that, hopefully he, you know, he stepped up and helped out with Navarez because he's going to be a great catcher too as well, and uh, hopefully we, everybody could take a little, you know, like I said, a little tidbits from him and, um, you know, keep playing the game, you know, like he did. How is Omar doing? Feeling more comfortable? Talk about his development. Very well. Very good. I mean, he's... Uh, <clears throat> He doesn't seem nervous up there. He gets up to the box, and uh, he's got a nice line drive yesterday. He works the count. Um, <clears throat> he's framing the pitches just good, you know, perfectly. And, you know, yesterday with sale pitching, 14 strikeouts, um, you know, he's doing something right. You're doing something right lately, getting on base, huh? I thought we weren't going to talk about me, but that's all right. Yeah, let's go. Let's just talk about how you good like I am. That? Yeah, it was perfect. But, no, <clears throat> just seeing the ball. Just seeing the ball better. Um, I know what I'm capable of. The home runs will come. But it, it's nice to get those RBIs through singles and, uh, you know, working the plate a little bit. Um, it is. It, it, it's a lot. You know, it seems a lot more smoother out there and the adjustments that I need to make. You know, it's been a, a trying year, but at the same time, you know, some of the numbers are still there and that I know I can, I'm capable of doing. Just got to, you know, be positive and uh, work through this last month and month and a half and uh, go through the offseason, you know, knowing what I can do. That's White Sox third baseman Todd Frazier with our very own Rachel Brady. Thanks to the both of them for taking a little time for White Sox Weekly. Uh, Todd's numbers have looked uh, altogether a little bit better here in the month of August. The power has come down some. The average has gone up some. The on-base has gone up a little as well. It's just been, Todd said it, It's it's been kind of a, a trying year for him in that, you know, the the batting average on balls in play has been so low, almost almost strikingly low, that you you can't hit into that kind of bad luck as often as he has, if that makes any sense. And while and we talked with Rick Hahn about this, what was it, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago on White Sox Weekly? Rick was nice enough to come up here and talk with us for a while uh, here in the booth as we were doing the show live um, about the pop-up rate for Todd Frazier and, and how often those have kind of come around and whether that's a large mechanical adjustment, whether that's just a way he's gotten pitched lately or how he's 
you know, tried to battle back from a way he's going to pitch. It's just kind of this weird, strange season uh, for Todd Frazier, given the number of home runs he's hit, uh, 32 so far this year. Um, the RBI, he's been able to produce the clutchitude that he's had in certain situations, too. I mean, last night wasn't the only time that Todd's driven in a couple of big runs, and not just with the home run, as he talked about. But, you know, there have been instances where he's he's definitely been lost at the plate, and he's he's talked about it as such. So uh, kind of been one of those strange seasons uh, for Todd Frazier and, and for the White Sox offense as a whole, too. 312-591-8900 is the phone over here on White Sox Weekly. We come back after the 5 o'clock news. We'll bring you the second part of our conversation here on White Sox Weekly with Ozzie Gian and Brian Anderson talking about the uh, Larry A. Pagoski Celebrity Softball Challenge and about the game of baseball in uh, – in part two here coming up. You've got White Sox Weekly and WLS AM 890. Welcome back to the White Sox Weekly show of the week, as opposed to doing it at any other point during the week. It's White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We have got the second half of a conversation with Ozzie Guillen and Brian Anderson to get to in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but right now, I wanted to tell you that you can join us for a children-only pregame autograph session tomorrow here at U.S. Cellular Field. Fans that purchase this special ticket pack can participate in an exclusive autograph session with select members of the White Sox. To purchase these special ticket packs, visit whitesox.com slash autographs. That's whitesox.com slash autographs. Uh, again, that's tomorrow. Kids only autograph session. Uh, I'm sure parents are allowed to bring them to the ballpark and supervise them. I don't think the kids have to dry themselves here on their own. That's not in the information packet, but you can find out at whitesox.com slash autographs. So uh, we aired the first part of a conversation that, uh, that I had with with Ozzie Guillen and Brian Anderson a couple of days ago. The two are participating on the White Sox side of things in the Larry A. Pagoski All-Star Celebrity Softball Challenge. You can get tickets to that whole thing uh, by going to lapsoftballchallenge.com. Games on September 10th uh, at the Schaumburg Boomers Stadium. Uh, we talked a lot about the game, about expectations for it, uh, just about you know, fun stories in the first half of the conversation. Second half, we talked a little bit more uh, about the game of baseball, about where we're at in this great game, uh, and how Ozzy and how Brian kind of see it. And we started, uh, or this part of the conversation starts in talking about you know, players becoming managers. I'm not sure how we got there, but we're talking about players becoming managers. And one of the guys that, uh, that I kind of saw or, or recently has been elevated to a managerial position of sorts is Aaron Rowan of the White Sox. He's an outfield instructor in the White Sox organization, of course. Um, and he's going to be managing, at least helping manage, the Arizona Fall League, uh, the White Sox players that are there headed down there. Zach Collins, one of them, by the way, first-round pick of the White Sox, number 10 overall. He's going to be playing the AFL, uh, and Aaron Rowan will be uh, part of the managerial team down there. So that's kind of where this part of the conversation picks up. Just seeing a release the other day, uh, Aaron Rowan is going to manage the White Sox part of the Arizona Fall League stuff. And I wondered, you know, I mean, I know you spent some time with him, I think, and obviously you had him. Um, do you see players, like when you're, as you're managing a ball club, do you see players and go, that guy could manage a team or that guy's kind of got that mentality to... Well, when you know managing, you think you can manage that's the problem. Sure. You know, I mean, that's the people, that was a mistake. I, will, I say that because I had that, that experience. Okay. And because I said, oh, manage is easy. Oh, God. It's Terry Bevington managing the White Sox. <laughs> I can manage the White Sox. 
you know, all the little things. I played for bad managers, I played good, good ones. But when you're managing, all the songs just like, oh wow, what is this? It's, it's a different momentum, different way. And I think Rowan helping the minor league, I think it's great because he's a great baseball guy. Yeah. He will have fun, but he know how to win games. That's very important. You got to teach a kid, prepare the kid for the future. You're not got to prepare the kid just to him to be a coach. And I think that that's a great opportunity for him. And why not? I think these guys, you know how to play the game. He's being teached by a, about good coaching mm -hmm. staff. You know what I mean? I think I think good for him. You know what I mean? He's just uh, he's just taking one one day at a time, step by step, and and I'm happy for him. Do you remember coming up as a as a ball player? the guy teammate not not necessarily a coach but the the teammate the older guy who like you know was the dude who's this is how we do things here this is how you win ball games were there lessons that got handed down to you that way from teammates because that's kind of how you know it seems like that's those kind of players go on to be these you know the Aaron Rowans I mean we had a really unusual team I mean I, Ozzy might be able to shed more light but because he's more experienced than I am but it seemed that when we when I got called up we had a core group of guys that were, have, had been around forever. My first three years, I mean, you guys got, got guys like Jermaine and Canerco, yeah. Tommy, me, even Creedy had had a few years. Mark Burley had 10 years in by the time he was 26. So, I mean, they, they let me have it from the get-go. Ozzy used to ride me, like, pretty hard when I was really AJ. young, but I needed it. AJ, AJ, oh, AJ yeah, too. I mean, no I remember there was a couple of times I thought I was going to fight AJ, but, you know, coming from him and in uh, hindsight, now looking back as I'm a little older, I'm like, man, I can't believe Ozzy just didn't, like, it reamed me even more because one time I showed up to the to the ballpark uh, in Minnesota. I like ran out of laundry, so I'm like, "Well, I'll just wear do Dockers and a collared shirt." Mm. He came into the bathroom. I'll never forget. He's like, "Are you are you crazy? Are you crazy?" And I thought, "What's wrong? I look great." He's like, "You don't ever wear shorts to the ballpark." And in my head, I just thought, "You know, I mean, you're so young and stupid that you really see so, those older guys and you learn from them as you go." But it's easy to say, you know, I me. Mean, they ask, you know, when I see names, okay. This guy got a chance to manage in the big league. Sure. They, it's funny because they were to fire Robin. I think Robin, I know what to say, he's doing a great job because it's not in my hands. But I think Robin is the same guy from the first day. Mm -hmm. He was a player to right now. He was a great player. Yes. He was a great third base. Yes. He's a good manager. I never see him managing every day. I cannot make a comment about it. But Robin never changed. Never did. And he's wrong with the same guy. That's why he said, oh, AJ is going to be managing. I look, I listen to Reddy go, what? <laughs> then he say, oh, PK is going to be managing. What? You know what I mean? It's just like people think that it's so easy. Right. In, in, in Chicago to manage it, you got to bring your lunch. You got to bring your lunch because the media here in Chicago is very hard. The fans is very, uh, they want a lot better. They don't understand. They only understand win, 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 win. Right. And, and, and it's not easy. You have to prepare yourself to have a big, big, strong guy mentally to take care of that. And sometimes you want to take care of the fans and the media. You worry, you're not worried about the main thing is your players. If your players don't play for you or don't respect you or don't like the way you're at, then you're not doing anything out. You're not doing anything. You're just pleasing people. And, 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 and that's, that's that's what it is, you know. What I mean, yeah. it is it, you you in the situation, this this town, you not have thick very thick skin. It gonna get you. I remember talking to Lupinella and Dusty Baker. Yeah. How young they look. Yeah. Oh my God! I seen it. Say, I said, you know why? I'm not manager in Chicago anymore. And that's it. You be you know be like, oh come on guys, but you be back and you sit back, 
and you grow up and you, you get older, like, like Brian said, you know you're right. I'm like, well, that's true. Yeah. It's not easy. It's not easy. You know what I mean? It's very hard, hard job. Two things I wanted to ask you about that happened in the last couple of months here in, in baseball. Um, we are without a Latino manager in Major League Baseball, and they uh, Latinos make up a massive population of, obviously, players and other coaches. Um, and I know you've talked a little bit about this, too, and I, I found it odd. Uh, we don't have to talk about the situation necessarily, but Aroldis Chapman had a little bit of a, an issue when he came to the Cubs in the first time around with a, a translator. And I, I think it's kind of crazy that not enough players necessarily have the translators available to them. When we've got so many Spanish-speaking players, I mean, I, it seems mind-boggling to me. I, 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 2000-something, I said that to the media, and I got fined. They almost take my passport away from the United States because I say, you know, Latino players need somebody on the field to help them. Oh, this year they did it. But yeah. then it cost me like five grand and fine. They almost, wow, my God, suspend me for a couple of days just because I made the comment. It, it, it's, it's not a translator in baseball. Because when you bring a translator in the game, the guy go, you, you say something, it, it's not a, you say something in Spanish, and the translator go, ah, I don't think I should be saying that. Yeah. Or say they say something out. And, and, and that's kind of hard. You're you a translator, you, got, you have to be grow up in the game. You have to be inside in the game. Yeah. Not just like, a, okay, we're going to bring this guy for Harvard. He speaks great Spanish. Because I remember one day I would curse the players out big time. Yeah. I have a meeting, and I was cursing him out, and I just I went I, I went off one time a year when I went off. Sure. People think I went off every day. But when I went off, and I look around, I see Gucci's translator, and he's like sitting there looking at me. And I went, ah, you told him this, 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 and that, and all this stuff. And Gucci said, the guy, the translator told me, he said, Ozzy, we don't have that kind of language in Japan. <laughs> I stopped my, 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 my meeting, I left. But when you go to say, you know, translating in Spanish, sometimes you say one word in Spanish, to us it's nothing, maybe for you guys. Right. Like, what did you say? Maybe it's, for you, it's offending to somebody else. Sure. For us it's normal. I can call somebody a name, and in my country, oh, they laugh. You say that here, yeah. oh my God, wow, you know, it's over with. But I think translators it had to be a baseball people, not uh, kind of an academic anybody, yeah. academic guy. Yeah, you got to happen. We get told a lot, Brian, that that everybody in the clubhouse speaks baseball. You know, to a degree, fans kind of get told this that phrase or whatever. Is that you find that to be true, or, or you know, coming up playing with a bunch of guys it, with their conversations that you had have, whether it was about the game or not, you had to go through some things. I mean, how much did you learn about other cultures, other languages coming up? Well, I mean, geez, our team alone, we had quite a bit of Latino players. I yeah. mean, we had a Gucci there, but I mean, between Uribe and Pablo Osuna and uh, Timo, yeah, Timo Perez, Jorge. we had, we got well, yeah, we had a, we had a ton. So it was great for me. I mean, you, you hear a mix of languages. You hear Spanish. Uh, you hear English. You don't hear any Japanese because they don't talk. I mean, Aguchi said this many words yeah. to me the entire time. Um, he got in, he showered quicker than everybody, and he was gone. He's a great teammate and all, but like Ozzy said, you know, these Japanese guys come over sometimes, the Asian players, and they have at least one translator. I mean, they have 50 people in the media, so they feel right at home. Sometimes these Latino players come, like a Aroldis Chapman comes over, and, and as big a deal as he is, you think he'd have at least one or two translators, sure. but they should be baseball guys because, as Ozzy said, when he's going off on us or we're having like baseball talk where it's kind of like a baseball language. It's not right. like in the Eng English dictionary per right. se. You want to have someone to be able to be like, hey, you know, this is what he means. Like even though we may not say it that way, this, he's pissed or he's happy or do it a certain way.
I, I, I took eight years of Spanish, and for the life, I don't know how to say cutoff, man. I can't do it. It's, it's stuff like that. It's little things that are inside the game. Well, you know, back to your question, right? People say, we need a Latino manager. Yeah. So what is that? I got to hire, if I was a GM, or I, I, I am the owner of the team, I got to hire one It's convenient for my job, not because you come from Latin America, mm -hmm. I got to give you the job. Did we have people prepared for, for that situation? I think so. I think in the papers we are. Yeah. Uh, if we have people that want to do it, yes. If we want a coach to do it, yes. But when we have seven managers in big league, five, six, seven managers in big league, including myself, they never say, well, we have too many Latino managers in the team. And not because you got your last name is Latino, you are Latino. Your parents are Latino. Sure. And sometimes because you have a last name in your back, you know, your Spanish is not there, mm -hmm. or you just, okay, I just have Latino last name. But they have to be careful with, with that because now I'm working in TV and that question come up every time when yeah. I'm there. I think, I, I believe, I believe, truly believe I'm supporting the Latino community in baseball 100%, 200%. Maybe sometimes too much I get in trouble. But if I'm the owner of any team, I'm not going to hire somebody because he's Latino or got the Latino last name in the back. I'm going to hire somebody I think is capable and, and, and to run my team and my company. And that's the way it is. Before we get out of here, i got to ask Ozzy a question. We are WLS AM 890, just uh, we're, we're the home of the White Sox, very proud of that, and we've got the Bulls starting up as well. And that, I was thinking about that, and it reminded me of a story that I, I remember you telling about a pickup game that you and Joey Cora and Michael, Michael Jordan played against, yeah, in 1994. How did that come about? I think they show you how Michael don't care who you play against. It's competitive, you want to win. Uh, you, I play, I play, I play with Michael. That, that I was stupid, playing. With, you know, me pick up game with Michael against Michael Jordan. Right. Obviously, Michael lose against us. Oh my God, <laughs> we still celebrating that. But you know that. But I play with, I, I play pool with Michael. Michael is a better, to me was a better pool player than basketball because I really see him play pool yeah. all night against me and my my family. And you know, me. They, this guy is, is about competition. I don't think Michael. I don't think Michael even play. High and seen by just to have fun. Right. You know, you know, you say, I find you, you gotta pay me. Got away. Yeah. That's the way it is. And it's a competitive guy. And and, and I love that. And I think people missing that. I think when you the more money you you have, the less competition you want to be. You want to compete to the level of how much money you make. You want to compete at the level of who you are and what you do. When you sign, why everybody hate Alex Rodriguez? Because he's rich. Because he's rich. Everybody, nobody hates Alex Rodriguez or love Alex Rodriguez because what he did in the game, what he did in the game was wrong, sure. completely wrong. Sure. But how many people did the same thing he did and he not got punished the way he was? Yeah. And he paid for it. Not too many people paid the way he did. He got suspended. He got this. They hate him because he's, he's making money and he's smarter than everybody else. And why you hate him? You say, I'm, you know, be, be honest, I'm not, a, I'm not this kid fan. But I love the way you play the game. No matter what you put, I will, obviously, that will help you. But I can put the same stuff Alice did. I even get close to be Alice or Right. That's people have to understand. Oh, now I say that people listen. Oh, look at us. He's supporting Alice Rodriguez. No, I don't. It's just because we hate him because he was good and because he was millionaire. That's what he was. That's what the reason we hate him. 
That is Ozzy Guillen. Nobody does it like him. Thanks to him and thanks to Brian Anderson for hanging out with us in the sound lounge there at WLS. Uh, head over to uh, check out the Larry A. Pagoski All Star Celebrity Softball Challenge September 10th at the Schaumburg Boomer Stadium. Both Ozzy and Brian are going to be out there, and we appreciate them. Coming on the show. We come back. We'll wrap up White Sox Weekly for the day. You've got WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Closing it up here on WLS AM 890. we got uh, Star Wars Day at the park. Got a parade going around the warning track. Darth Vader, the Emperor, Kylo Ren is here. Boba Fett. we got Finn, Princess Leia. we got a Tusken Raider to show up. That's awesome. Tough for them to, uh, to get out of the huts. Chewbacca is here. Some cool stuff going on at the ballpark. We bring you uh, the weekend review every single White Sox Weekly because that's the purpose of the show. So without any further ado, here it is, your White Sox Week in Review. Three balls, two strikes, two outs, runners at second, third. A 3-2, here it is. The swing and a shot to center field. Chocolate break, reaches up, makes the catch. Oh, he took away two-run double. At least a spectacular catch by Chuck at center field. That was a rocket. Last night, here's a swing. This is a line drive in the center field coming over. Chuck makes the catch. Hang another star. He's full of them today. A line drive caught center field. Oh, brother. That pitch is swinging a high fly ball. Down the right field line, over to get it eaten. Foul territory, makes the catch. Sox win, Sox win. Robertson with the save. Keaton of the first time in his career. Double figures and wins at the big league level as he goes to 10-9. The 2-1 high and deep to left. This hit well. Running to the track. At the wall! He goes off the wall for extra bases. Eaton around second. He's going for third. He dives safe for third base with a leadoff triple. There's a Brayu with one on and one out. Thompson's delivery. Swinging a long one to left. Tagged back to the bleachers. Gone. He's hit his 17th. Turn on the fireworks. Six nothing sock. The one one. Swinging a long one to right. This has got a chance to go. Into the bullpen. Back to back they go. 7-0 socks. I don't know if we got enough fireworks. He's swinging a high fly ball. This is charged to right center field. Eaton on the run at the track by the fence. Leaps, makes the catch, and then crashes into the fence. What a play by Eaton. He took a look at it, Darren, went to where they thought the ball was coming down and made the catch. 2-0 pitch high and deep to right. Going back, Forges. Track, wall, light it up. Socks are on the board with a two-run homer from Navarro for Deonor Navarro, his sixth. And the Sox cut the lead in half. At the 2-0, Anderson is swinging a long one to center. A late break by Martinez over his head. And up over the wall. That's a rule book double. That gets stuck in. And Eaton has to go back to third. Now a 6-4. Mariner lead. That ball was buggy with the center. Winning run at second. And the 2-1. Todd Frazier swinging a line drive to left. Base hit. This is going to win the game. Eaton around third. He'll score. Sox win. Sox win. Frazier drove it. Three runs in his last two at-bats to make the Sox winners. The 3-2 again to Frazier. Swinging a long one to left. This is going to go for a homer. His 32nd. Sox are on the board. Turn on the fireworks. Cano is 0 for 2. Last time up a strikeout. Sale abused him with a countless uh, three or four breaking pitches. A couple fastballs in to get the last one across. The 0-2, he struck him out again. He just swung at that there and just get out of the batter's box. It, it, well, it almost looked like it, yeah. that's for sure. The 2-2. Swung in a miss from the three. Got him. Sale has back-to-back strikeouts. He's got seven in the game. Two down here in the sixth on strikeouts for Zanino. Sale with another pitch. The 2-2 strike three called. He struck out the side. 
He's bags eight of them on strikes. And the one-two to Gutierrez. Fastball strike three called. He's got nine. Irma two-two. Breaking ball strike three. He's got ten. He has five strikeouts in a row. He gets a 10 pass doing that. But out stands for O'Malley. Right-handed batter's box. Sale with the 2-2. Struck him out swinging. Six strikeouts in a row. 11 in the game. Sale goes to the dugout. He was dynamite last night. Too bad the White Sox could not grab a win. They'll hopefully do that this afternoon, this evening rather, with Jose Quintana on the bump against the Mariners. That does it for us. You can, though, live out your dream of becoming a professional baseball player. By attending the White Sox Dodgers Fantasy Camp. That's January 15th through the 21st at the spring training home of the White Sox and Dodgers at Camelback Ranch in Glendale, Arizona. For more information, call the Fantasy Camp hotline 623-302-5078. You can also sign up by going to whitesox.com clicking on Fantasy Camp. That does it for us. Thanks to Justin Basic Jonathan Bregman for the help. Thanks to Rachel Brady and Todd Frazier for the interview this afternoon. Thanks to Ozzy Gian and Brian Anderson for hanging out at the WLS Sound Lounge and talking about the Larry A. Pagofsky All-Star Celebrity Challenge. Get yourself to the website and check out that ball game that's on September 10th. Pre-game show starts in just a couple of minutes. Sox and Mariners are going to be right here. You've got WLS AM 890. You've been listening to White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Listen every week for White Sox Weekly. And listen to White Sox baseball right here. WLS AM 890.